Chapter 9 Fitz, wake up. I'm going to be late for school. My bloodshot eyes slowly focused in on Marco's scrawny arm, shaking me into awareness. I swung my legs over the side of the couch and ran my hands through my hair. Jesus, did I sleep here all night? He didn't answer, but pointed at the half-empty bourbon bottle on the coffee table. Alicia must have had a bigger effect on me than I realized. The glass beside it was nearly empty, the melted ice layered above what was left of the hooch. I'm a great example for a kid, aren't I? Nothing I haven't seen a million times before. I get it. I stood up and stretched. Let's go. I could always come back home and clean up before going to the office. Whether I would get the chance to figure out what was going on with Alicia and her golf-playing fiancé was something else. Move on, old man. Move on. I grabbed my cell phone and the keys to the van from the table by the door and we headed out. Slipping into the van, I cranked the key in the ignition. Nothing but a few sad clicks. God damn you, Gus, and your piece of shit cars. I stepped out and threw open the hood and stopped. Someone had yanked my battery cables off the posts, leaving them on the engine block atop a folded piece of paper. I opened the note to read it. I wouldn't follow the mayor around if I were you. It could end very badly for you or your family. This is your first warning. I looked around to see if anyone was close. The street was deserted. I quickly reattached the cables and jumped back into the van. What's wrong? Nothing that can't easily be fixed. Once I got into the office, I needed to get in touch with Mia Setkowski. Flashy Pete might or might not be screwing around, but whatever he was doing, somebody didn't want me finding out. Mia Zitkowski was parked in front of my office when I pulled up. Mary Margaret apparently had decided to sleep in. Wordlessly, she followed me inside. We both sat down at the desk, and I shoved the note toward her. You recognize this handwriting? She shook her head, her eyes big. I was under the hood of my surveillance vehicle this morning when I came out. I have no idea who would do that. Do you know why your husband would have keys to the accounting firm Baglio, Drayton, Sapiento, and Moore? We've used them for our taxes. My accountant does my taxes every year. I don't have keys to his office. The lights were off and there were no other cars parked in the front of the place. I don't understand. He's clearly comfortable going in there after hours. Someone gave him that key. I pulled the note back toward me. I can't say yet that he's seeing another woman, or anyone at all. When he came out, he didn't look like he'd just showered. He didn't even look like he'd broken a sweat. I even waited around to see if anyone came out after him. After 30 minutes, no one did. What happened after he got home last night? I did what you told me to do. I just asked him how his evening went. All he said was fine. We watched the rest of the news, which had a story on him speaking to the Rotary Club, and then we went to bed. Does he associate with anyone you think is a little untrustworthy? A little weird? She smirked. The first time I'd seen anything resembling anger crossed her face. Are you kidding me? He's a politician. Okay, anybody who gives you more than the usual creeps. That's the thing. We grew up here, just like you. I've known everybody who walks through my door since high school, some of them longer than that. After Pete got interested in politics and fracking brings us money and jobs again, it seemed like everybody got a little weird. What do you mean? Pete made all these campaign pledges. I know they're garbage and he knows they're garbage, but he can't stop promising the world. I mean, why not? He's never run for any office before. We didn't think he would seriously win. 
Pete Zidkowski ran a vending machine business, putting chips, candy bars, gumballs, and soda cans in local schools and businesses. Odds were, if you put a dollar into a vending machine anywhere in F-Town, that money ended up in Flashy Pete's pocket. About halfway through my law enforcement career, I responded to a late-night call at Zetkowski Vending after a bunch of idiot juveniles broke into his business and tried to remove change from some of the machines there. The stupid little fucks left fingerprints everywhere, even dropping a wallet that contained a brand new driver's license. I think we had all three of them in custody within a couple hours. The whole thing was a painful lesson. Pete routinely removed all the change from his machines before working on them. Little bastards didn't get a cent. I didn't have much contact after that, though as the years passed, he couldn't help but see his face everywhere. First he joined the Rotary Club, then the Kiwanis, then started donating to good causes around town. He was a regular at the Symphony's annual fundraiser, which I attended with Gracie. He donated generously to local scholarship funds, and always bought the championship 4-H hog at the county fair. During that time, he went from a guy in blue coveralls who repaired machines and drove around in an ugly truck to the guy in the fancy suits and the Italian shoes with a fleet of vans and a staff who ensured that he never had to get grease under his fingernails again. But you never saw Mia, even at the symphony fundraiser, which traditionally brought out everyone's wife or girlfriend. Pete always came alone. So beneath the veneer of a wounded wife did there lurk the ferocious heart of a small-town political operative. Was Mia Zetkowski the one who pulled all the strings behind the scenes? There's so much more to this case that meets the eye. I turned my attention back to Mia. Then, suddenly he wins and folks start coming by the house. What kind of folks? I'm not sure. They either went into the kitchen to talk or he asked me to run out and get something for him. Said it was official city business. When I'd come back, they'd be gone. You think it was? Did you see the Cadillac Pete drives? She shot back. That's a lot of candy bars and soda. Why do you have no problem with him being on the take, but draw the line at infidelity? One hurts you, yes, but the other hurts the whole town. You don't know what I've had to put up with since he got elected. He's convinced he's God's gift to this town. It's not a thank you for any of the things I've done for him over the years. Staying home with his children, with no career of my own. All those stupid phone calls I made to convince people that greasy little Polack bastard is worth voting for. Realizing she'd let her guard down much too far, she stopped to compose herself. Sounds like your marriage hasn't been happy for a long time. I didn't mean to say all that. She retreated back to her mousy shell. But you did. She didn't say anything. Well, I'll keep looking. If I see anything else, I'll keep you informed. We stood and she gathered her belongings. I followed her to the door and opened it for her. Before she stepped out into the cold, she stopped. I do love my husband, Fitz. I really do. It's like he's become a different person since he's been elected. I just don't like what I see. Mia wiped her eyes with the back of her hand. I just want the man that I married back. I understand. Back in my office, I pulled out Anna Maria's coded journal. If Mary Margaret was going to take the morning off after last night, I'd have a couple hours to myself to finish decoding. If the letters LMXOX spelled out Steve, then finding out what ATKKBLHF stood for shouldn't be too difficult. I wrote out the entire alphabet, and beneath it all the letters that I had figured out. After a minute, I had it. Anna Maria had used the letter T to start her code. U corresponded to B, V to C, and so on. When she reached the letter H, the code started with the letter A. Z with S. Within a few minutes, there it was. 
A-T-K-K-B-L-H-F spelled out Harrison. So who was Steve Harrison and how was he connected to Anna Maria? And what do these symbols mean? Steve had one dollar sign beneath his name, a slash mark, and a squiggly line. What the hell was that? I went and started on the second page. The name at the top of that one was C-H-X-I-X-V-V-H-K-B-G-B. Who the hell was this now? This time I didn't have to work hard. Joe Pecorini, Carlotta's husband. I leaned back in my chair and exhaled. Whatever was going on with Carlotta and Joe involved Anna Maria. She was dead. Carlotta had hired me to make sure that if Anna Maria was doing anything untoward, we could find that out before the police did. Had Anna Maria been involved with her brother-in-law? Had Carlotta found out? Had she or Joe killed her? Taking it further were those expensive trips that she took with her sisters and largely financed a way to assuage her guilt over the affair. Anna Maria told me herself that her sister's marriage wasn't the best in the world. She'd even told me that Carlotta had a child with cerebral palsy. That alone could stress a marriage emotionally and financially. If Joe was spending money on Anna Maria that should have been going to the household, Carlotta had a reason to be pissed off. Maybe even a reason to kill. Or what if Anna Maria had threatened to tell her sister about Joe when he was responsible for her death? Murder had been committed for less in my experience. If Carlotta knew he'd killed her, that made more sense to hire me to make sure I found out the truth before the police did. Did you think I'd cover up a murder? Or cook up a story to keep her sister's reputation? And by extension, Carlotta's family is sweet and clean. I remembered I'd promised Carlotta to look into Vivian's boyfriend, the alleged mafioso. Maybe I could find out a little background on Joe Pecorini before I accused him of killing his sister-in-law.